Now, good morning, everybody. The scripture I want to focus on, it's not the only one I'll mention, but um, very, very familiar scripture found in the first chapter of 1 John. We'll read it in a moment. But the truth of the matter is I feel awfully inadequate um, which is not a bad thing, because we, we are. But um, in trying sometimes to describe even what the final song that was just sung refers to, God's grace, which is shown in a number of ways, but one of the most prominent and one of the most needful It's literally life and death. And that is the grace of God to forgive us. There's forgiveness. A couple of verses in the Psalms. Psalm 130. If you, Lord, would mark every iniquity, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared or served, reverenced. Um, there's, there's a way to fellowship and peace and friendship. God called Abraham the friend of God. There's a way to that from the lost hopeless mess that we find ourselves in as a result of sin there's forgiveness there's there's a way out another psalm psalm 86 <clears throat> god it says is good and ready to forgive, and plentiful in mercy to all that call upon him. Another one, just of the mercy, the mercy of the Lord reaches to the clouds. Everywhere God is doing all he can to beckon us back to him who, like Adam and Eve, flee from him. The guilt of sin and rebellion against God always ends up engulfing us with shame, fear. We run. We try to hide. And we are, we're caught in a situation where we're, we feel drawn to God, which comes from Him. There's an element within us that wants to be right with Him. But we are in bondage enough and in fear enough that we find it hard to believe that God would forgive us. And so God's 
part of his program is to show to us wide open all the way from calling to Adam and Eve in the garden. He took the initiative. They ran. They hid. When they heard his voice. The fact, though, that they heard his voice meant he's still calling for them. He's still talking to them. He still loves them. He seeks them. He treats us the same way. He calls to us. And that call to come unto me to repair and reconcile and receive forgiveness, he makes not only individually, but he calls Psalm 50 from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the sun. It says, he calls all the earth. Not only does he make it very personal to us, but he calls the whole earth. Come to me. I'll forgive you. I don't have the words to describe the gift of forgiveness, the mercy that God has to us. And again, this is a bit of a contradiction, except it's in the Bible and Jacob said it, so I'm not picking at the Bible. But Jacob said to the Lord, I do not deserve the least of your mercies. Well, the contradiction, if you want to call it, that's there, is the very meaning of mercy is I don't deserve it. Mercy is I do not get what I deserve. God has mercy on me. There's mercy with the Lord, another one of the Psalms says. And a companion New Testament verse in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness now, obviously, this is not a bombshell statement. There's a lot in that verse. That's what we want to do our best to look at here this morning. First of all, prior to this promise and this exhortation is God's basic compassion. He he loves us. He's grieved at heart. He loves us. He calls, draws, convicts, blesses us when we don't deserve it at all. And all of it, he seeks to break down the barriers that sin and guilt and shame and fear have set up. Because there is a sense 
God's put a sense of justice in every one of our own hearts. And we instinctively, we innately recognize, I don't deserve decency and goodness from him for how I've acted. That's a basic function of another ally that God has placed within us, and that's our conscience. What we can do to our conscience is ignore it sufficiently that it signal to me that I am guilty before God and should recognize I don't deserve His mercy, but when He shows it to me, it melts my hard heart. If we lose that sense, God is good to me and I don't deserve it, which draws us to repentance. Romans says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. The fact that he is kind to me when I don't deserve it is one of God's powerful, and I think almost one of his last steps that he leads us through to bring us to genuine repentance, turning and asking God to forgive us. If we harden and sear Paul's the one that talks about having a seared conscience. It's, it's burning scars. I have no feeling. We don't want to do that. God intends to keep our hearts soft enough that we'll recognize God be merciful to me, the sinner. I don't deserve it but I'm so grateful that there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Now this little verse contains a lot. It's compassion is the first thing we see as the basis for this verse of Scripture. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the second thing, then, in light of His compassion to us is confession now well, I'll get into something else here in a, in a minute as far as what's he talking about um, what's he con- talking about confessing here but first of all confession means literally here it means to open the hand or to to show and tell God everything. It's not only, now I don't mean we can't mention, when we come to God to be converted, we can't mention all of the sins. We'd be there all day. There is a sense in which we acknowledge in our minds, but I can't recite everything to God. But I open my hand. I say, Lord, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to redefine. You understand? We're good. We're masters at redefining, subtly redefining sin. It's a mistake. It's a failure. 
It's a human flaw, human fault. It's ignorance. I didn't know it. Somebody else made me do it. All that stuff started in the Garden of Eden. And has never changed one iota since. And we, we go to every length there is to shove responsibility off to someone else or something else. That's not opening my hand. That's not what's meant by the word confess. I, I show, I open, I, I acknowledge. That kind of confession, first of all, is God's requirement of me if I want forgiveness. There are plenty of people who try to obtain forgiveness and some kind of um, assuaging of our conscience without confessing. You can't do it. There's a little verse in Proverbs. Whoever covers his sins shall not profit, but whoever confesses and forsakes them shall find mercy. That's forgiveness. Now, I don't want to get off onto that verse, but you can confess without forsaking. You can forsake without really confessing. I have to do both. True confession always produces forsaking. Now you might think, well, wait a minute, you know, we, does that mean we never ever have to ask forgiveness again? No, it does not. However, there's at least in this little letter, there's a minimum of seven, maybe nine spots here in this short little letter where John makes clear he that is born of God does not keep on sinning. Now we have to define what's meant by sinning here. There's the broad original language word, the Greek word hamartia. It means to miss the mark. Well, there is the matter of why you failed, why you missed the mark. It can be because of an intentionally faulty aim. That is sin, sin. That's intentional. That's willful transgression of the known law of God. That will get you in trouble. But there are missings of the mark that are dependent upon the amount of light that we have. The, and some, everyone's different there. Some have more light than others. Our own capacity. God, we have the whole doctrine, which is correct, of the age of accountability. The age of accountability is that specific time when we seem to cross a threshold as a child and somehow within us 
plus God who knows all things, sees that I understand enough of God's moral requirements that I am able to exercise my will knowing what I'm doing to either follow or discard God's requirements. Jesus made some astonishing remarks to the Pharisees. If we read them carefully, they're also in the book of John, the Gospel of John. Speaking to the Pharisees who were proclaiming to him how much spiritual knowledge they had. Oh, we know the scripture. We know this. We know that. Jesus countered and he said, if you didn't know all of that, you wouldn't have any sin. Then he went on. He said, if I hadn't come to speak to you, you would have no sin. But he says, now that I have come to speak to you and have given you the truth, you have sin. <laughs> what does that mean? Again, he judges me on the light that I have. What I know to do, but do not do, James says, to him, that's individuals, to him it's sin. There's some missings of the mark then, that two people standing side by side, one can miss the mark and not incur guilt, the other can't because God pays attention. And that's an act of mercy. He never accuses me or declares me guilty of something that I'm unaware of, don't recognize, haven't been taught. I think the age of accountability is somewhat higher later in life. Now, I'm not talking about being 45. But depending on how you're raised. If you're born, as I was, into a Christian home, we read the Bible every single day. You couldn't leave the dinner table without they'd, dad and mom and read a psalm and we'd have to pray. And then the dread Saturdays came. And Saturdays before we had to start in on, it seemed like an endless list of chores on Saturday, we had the big devotions. <laughs> now, big devotions were not sitting around the table. We've all we got homework, we got this, we got that. So we read short passages of scripture and pray. Saturday, you you go into the living room and everybody sits there. You read a longer portion of scripture, and you get little questions depending on our age. What do you think that verse means? What do you think Jesus meant here? Whatever. And then, even worse, we then we had to turn around and kneel down at the sofa or whatever. And dad and mom made all of us kids pray. Okay. When you're a little kid, my brother one time, I, I'm the oldest of five, and he's, he was the youngest. And he, he, I can't remember how old he was. He was 
he was probably smarter and he let on. But he's praying and he's and he after two or three sentences he runs out of gas. And he's saying, and so Lord, and help us, um, and help, and will help us. Finally, my dad says, dear God, somebody help that kid. Um, that I knew from the day I was, I had memory. I didn't walk in it, but my guilt was deeper and sharper because I knew better. And people who don't know anything aren't raised around the people of God and the church and the things of God and the scripture. Their age of accountability, when they really can, when God can rightly hold them accountable for doing what they shouldn't or should do, is a higher, it's a later age. But that's the mercy of God. He never holds me responsible for what I don't know or couldn't know. So God's looking for confession for, for us. And I think one other thing on confession. I don't think any of us really, really understand the depths of the Grief we bring to God's heart with a life of rebellion against Him and trampling underfoot the light that He gives us. I don't think we really realize the depths of sin. Therefore, now follow my thinking here, maybe if you can, that's why God requires us to forgive and often forgive on the basis of what seems like a pretty shallow confession from somebody else. Probably at some time in our lives, nearly everybody said, I'll tell you what, if they don't, if they don't apologize to me, I'm never going to forgive them. Because God forgives us when we acknowledge our sin, but don't really realize the depth of it. He says, I'll forgive you. Then he, he requires, he says, don't you dare turn around and demand some kind of groveling out of your brother or your sister because you didn't ever get it and you still don't understand until we get to judgment day what burden and what, what it costs God for our sins. That's why he can rightly require, you better forgive. He says, you be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. In the same manner in which God freely forgave us on probably a pretty feeble repentance, not understanding the depths of what we've hurt God's heart, he says, you, you, you forgive the same way. You don't require some walking over broken glass. He's not that way. I remember seeing growing up missionaries all the time in our house. And of course they always had these 
Back then, it was the slides, you know, a slideshow. And so you'd have that big carousel, and they would, you know, they'd click that thing and turn the carousel, and there'd be another slide. And if you grew up in church around missionaries, um, you always... I mean, I could close my eyes and could know all of those presentations. It always starts out with, and i got to get going here, but it always starts out with a picture of the map of, on the world map of where they're going. And then you see a bunch of people, and depends on where they're at, there flies crawling all over people and whatever. And then there's always the sunset over the wing of a plane as they're heading back home. And anybody here know what I'm talking about? Um, and I can't tell you the number of times that you know I, I saw, that, saw all of that. And it just got wrote in my mind. But I would look at those and think about it later and realize what a what a gift unspeakable gift they were bringing to people in darkness unlike any of the darkness we grew up in knew nothing that's why the gospel's called good news there's forgiveness with god now, there's a third thing. There is a covenant involved in all this. There's, it, it, it's a colder word, but there's a contract. The contract or the covenant is found in the words here that if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, two words here that describe God and describe His activity and, the, and a third word describing mine. We've already looked at that. Confession. That's my part of the covenant. I confess. If you confess. If I won't confess, whether it is the initial time of salvation when I'm born again and I pour out my heart before God and I am wonderfully, blessedly converted. And any subsequent occasions down the road where we have to apply in God's mercy to forgiveness, for forgiveness. Either way, I'm entering into a covenant. The implied covenant on my part is with confession, is by the grace of God not to return to that. And I can't, I can't water down the scripture. I don't have the authority to do that. But I repeat, there's at least seven real clear places and two or three more that are implied here in this little letter that when God saves us in response to our deep confession the practice habitual practice 
of disobeying the known will of God stops. It quits. And if you look at John, 1 John 2, 1, I write these things unto you, little children, that you do not, and this is the language, I didn't write it, I write these things unto you, that you do not commit a sin. It's in the tense that is a completed action. It's not present tense. It's not a continuous tense. He, he clearly covers that all over the place in the rest of the letter. Here he says, I write these things unto you, little children, that you do not commit a sin. Now that implies clearly too, willful transgression. Not an accident, not failure, not whatever. Then, he uses another word that implies the gracious ability by his alone to stop the practice of sinning because he says if we commit a sin I write to you that you don't but if you do we have a defense attorney with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous and again it's this singularity it's not habitual every time in this letter where it says we do not he that's born of God does not sin. Some new, new versions are better. He that's born of God does not keep on sinning. That's a clearer translation. It doesn't keep the practice of it. Now, well, what does it say about God? He is, if we confess, if we Keep our part of the covenant. If we confess, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us. Now, what does faithful and just mean? The one word is a moral term. The other one is a legal term. The moral term is he's faithful. And if you, if you take apart that word... He's faithful. It has two, two divisions, two different kinds of states that it's describing. One is integrity. The other is fidelity. Okay? Integrity is primarily inward. It's character. Fidelity is based on integrity, but it involves acts because I have integrity God saying I will act I will be faithful to forgive you God's own character is in the line then when I come to God and say Lord please forgive me I'm acknowledging I need it but I'm also implying and have to be conscious of I trust him that he'll keep his half of the covenant. And the covenant is if you, if you seek and you confess I will forgive you. 
Now, why even emphasize that? Because the number one thing that the devil does, first of all, to sinners is that God will never forgive you. To Christians who fail in some place and need forgiveness, and when they come to it, the enemy does all he can to beat you to death, to get you to question whether God will forgive you, so you, re- you ask him again. And then the shadow seems to come back and the accusations seem to come back and so you pray again. And we find ourselves asking God, now I don't think it hurts to repeat things, but we'll find ourselves asking God way too long, please forgive me, please, oh that was stupid, oh, please forgive me, whatever. The enemy is a master at that. I need then to trust God that he will do what he says. And John, the Holy Spirit, speaking through him, includes that in this little letter. If we look on into the latter chapters, he makes a statement that sometimes seems a little obscure. He said, if your heart condemns you, okay, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and knows all things. Now, if we, a lot of times we read that and we wonder, well, God's condemning my heart. No, you, that's not what he talks about. When I sense condemnation, either for having done nothing or if we did need to go to God, say, Lord, forgive me for that. Forgive me for what I said about so-and-so. Forgive me whatever it might be. The enemy will be right there to tell you that he isn't forgiving you, that he's so upset with you or whatever else that you know, you've got to really, you've got to do what I used to see pictures that the missionaries would bring. I can't remember how many I've seen of the massive, and I can't remember, but it's like a half a mile, literally, of tile, stones, cobblestones, before some great cathedral in Mexico City. And seeing the pictures of people on their knees, walking on their knees, over these rough stones, sharp edges, and you, you saw a little path of blood. Scrapes, scrapes, little, maybe a little spot of it, another scrape, another scrape. That's what the devil will tell you you must produce before God will grudgingly halfway, well, I'll forgive you this time. But he's not like that. So John says, to help us, this whole chapter, or this whole letter, has much to do with, this is written to Christians. It's not written to unbelievers who've never been converted. It applies. But he's talking to Christians here. So then he says, 
If your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart and knows all things. He said then, if you know that you love the brethren, if you've been keeping the commandments, if you love God, if you know that about yourself, an honest self-evaluation, it says with this, that knowledge, that evidence, with this, now listen to this, we assure our hearts before Him or in His presence. God is not doing the assuring. I am. I am saying back to the enemy and back to the accusations, no. Now hear me. It's not, I deserve to be forgiven. I deserve for God to blot whatever. David's great prayer after the stunt with Bathsheba, Psalm 51. God doesn't, in this case, He's not doing the assuring. I am. Because I am saying, Lord, I know inherently, I know in my heart I meant it when I said, Lord, I'm sorry that I did this, said this, whatever. I'm sorry. And I trust you that you're faithful and you're just to forgive us. I trust you. If I trust him that he is of integrity and will follow through in his acts, then I believe, all right, Lord, I believe that you forgave me because I asked you to. And I'm not going to take any more accusations, cloud over my head, continual bombardment. I'm going to trust you. Then we go on. And we are keep, God is keeping the covenant with us. The second word describing God, he's just. Now that's the legal word. So morally, spiritually, there's the business of guilt and so forth that God forgives. But he's also just. What does, why does it say, I'm just and will forgive you? Because Legally, God is saying, I've bound myself through a covenant with you of my making that if you confess, I will forgive. I will keep my legal covenant that I've signed with you. If you confess, I'll forgive you. He has to. Or what he would be doing he would be upsetting the entire judicial system that he set up. And God never reneges on a covenant. Whether it was a covenant with Abraham, covenant with all through Scripture, you find the idea of covenants. The gods, and he swears, it says by, since he couldn't swear about anything greater than him, he swore by himself. I will keep my word. And you've fulfilled your part of the covenant. Therefore, don't you fret. I will fulfill my part. He's faithful and just to forgive us. He can't not forgive us if we confess, open our hand, and say, Lord, I'm sorry. 
forgiveness then. Again, I, I can't express the feelings of gratitude that I feel. There's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Thank God that he forgives us. That he loves us and, let me throw another thing in. He said repeatedly through scripture, but very, very clearly, the book of Hebrews. Your sins and iniquities will I remember against you no more. Now, some versions don't contain the word words against you. I won't remember them. Now people talk about, and no one's going to lose out on heaven for saying this, but people talk about, oh, God takes our sins in the great sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't forget anything. He can't forget anything. One quick little repetition from God. He said about, I can't remember which king it was, three or four kings later from David. He said of that king, he said, he walked with me like his father David did. Except in the matter of Eli, uh, Uriah the Hittite. Okay? David had been dead for maybe a couple of centuries. But God, he said, he walked, his great-great-great-great-grandson walked with me like David did, except for that matter with Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba. He, he can't forget something, but he doesn't hold it against me. That's why I will not remember against you your sins and iniquities. When sins you know that have been forgiven come back to haunt you. They come from several sources. One, Satan. He's got good records too. And so he'll pick at you. Stuff 40 years ago. But he'll pick at you, pick at you, pick at you, pick at you. Second, your own mind. Everything's recorded somewhere. And sometimes those old, old spools will unreel and a song, a uh, scene will jar your memory. And you remember what we did this back in high school, which is 40 years ago, or whatever. And it comes back to your mind. Everything's recorded up here. Third, so your own brains. Third, people. If the devil... If the devil won't remind you and taunt you with previous sins, you can always depend on somebody in your family or maybe, God help you, it could be your spouse who seems to have ready at hand something you did or said who knows how long ago. Other people, your own brain, the devil. But you can know this, it's never God. He said, I won't talk to you about it again. We've taken care of it. Man, what a blessing that is. It's over. 
Do you see then, finally again, there is forgiveness with the Lord that we may fear Him, serve Him, and know we're loved. Let's bow our heads. I don't know. I am certain, though, don't know who, but I am certain that there are always people who have something that they may truly be guilty of that God keeps just poking you about. You might as well deal with it. Because he, one thing about God, he, you can't silence him. Then let's take care of it. Knowing that he said, if you confess it, I'll forgive it, I'll blot it out, and I'll never talk to you about it again. Then further, I know that every one of us are taunted from time to time by the enemy of things we've done in the past. Scars may remain, consequences may remain, but we settled it with God. Take John's little verse here. I know I'm walking with God. I know the sincerity of my heart. So I'm going to assure my own heart, Lord, I know I'm okay with you. I've obeyed you. I've walked with you. I've taken care of anything I needed to take care of with you. And I'm walking with you. I'm not going to let the enemy, my own mind, or maybe other people, accuse me of things. I'm going to settle it that with you there's forgiveness and further silence. We can either get victory this morning with a simple prayer in our hearts or preserve victory by remembering God won't taunt me and dredge up stuff on me ever. Father in heaven, I pray in the name of Jesus this morning, the one who shed that blood for that covenant that we were taught about this morning. Praise your holy name, Lord, for that gift. Whether a person has received that truth of their own yet or not, that is true and that is done. So I pray for each person here this morning, Lord, that might not know the name of Jesus in their heart. They may have not, they may have not yet come to the place of repentance and confession. If that person sits in here or is watching this on video, Lord, I know one thing, that you're faithful to speak to their hearts and call them near. Help them to keep their end of the bargain this morning, Lord, by confessing their sin to you. To believe in their heart that you are Lord and that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. Simple words, but we need to surrender ourselves to that, Lord. So this morning I pray for that person that this would be the day of salvation for them, that they would not put off till tomorrow what could be done today. And for all of us that might be walking in the light today, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. It is abundant and we are grateful. So help us, Lord, today for those that know your name to walk in your grace 
and your mercy for your glory because of what you've done for us and what we've accepted as truth. And help us to assure our own hearts, Lord, that we are good with you by the time we spent in Scripture, by the witness of the Holy Spirit, by those around us, that we know that our names are written in the book of life. Lord, that's all that matters. So may that all that matters matter most to us today as we get up and go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.